You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello and welcome to the Line of Scrimmage podcast presented by Tomahawk Nation. Over the next 20 or so minutes, we're going to be chatting it up with a member of the media from FSU's next opponent. My name is Tim Allenball, and after a week off, the Seminoles are back in action. And this week, it's the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. We'll spend the next few minutes breaking down the jackets with another of our SB Nation brethren. We have Robert Binion of From the Rumble Seat. Robert, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. It's good to see you. Good, good. I am glad to see you. Uh, for those that are longtime listeners of, of Tomahawk Nation podcast, which is probably a handful of you, uh, Robert was one of the first guys we've interviewed talking about an opposing team way back two years ago at the start of the Norvell era. So uh, uh, Robert and I were catching up a little bit before the podcast, and uh, it's been a wild two years uh, for, for Georgia Tech and Florida State. Uh, and it's been a wild year for Georgia Tech. I mean, on September 26th, uh, Georgia Tech was one and three, and uh, they fired their head coach, uh, Jeff Collins, and, and named assistant Brent Key as the interim. And since then, uh, Tech's responded with a two and one record. And honestly, if Sims had not gone down against Virginia, I think they have a really good chance of being three and oh since then. What, what's been the big change there for Georgia Tech? Have you ever tried to swim with like an iron vest on your back <laughs> and then you take it off and it's like, this isn't so hard. Yeah. Jeff Collins was the iron vest that was keeping everyone weighed down and miserable. And uh, I don't think that the current coaching staff is that special, but you uh, remove a big enough negative and it makes a big difference. I mean, the, the example that, uh, the Atlantic or sorry, the athletic wrote an article about last week and that people pointed to is that 
uh, Collins was very prideful that he was the coach of the punt team. And if you missed it, Tech had four punts blocked in its first four games this season. You take Collins away, you put in a normal scheme, you stop getting punts blocked. And that kind of thing was going on all over the program. Uh, he was in over his head and uh, it's uh, it's a new day now. <laughs> was there anything in particular that uh, about Collins that stands out to you? Or is it just the, you know, basically running into the brick wall over and over type situation? I think that his estimation of himself and his coaching abilities and his accomplishments was just drastically out of touch with reality. I mean, even in his final couple games, you'd hear him talking about how he had this elite track record and was regarded as this excellent defensive mind by other coaches when he'd never had a defense, you know, it was better than 80th and SP plus. And all of a sudden we're three games without him and we're giving up like 12 points a game. Uh, you know, it, it, there was just this massive disconnect where he thought he needed to be involved in every little aspect of the program instead of letting position coaches and coordinators do their job. And lo and behold, you, you take him out of the equation and, and you start to see some results, especially on defense and special teams. Offense is another conversation that I'm sure we'll get to. It's always funny when the uh, the head coach that specializes in a certain area, suddenly that area takes off after he leaves. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, um, as we alluded to in the first question, uh, if the Virginia game taught us anything, it's that Georgia Tech's offense needs Jeff Sims. Uh, a name that Florida State fans, if they follow recruiting, should be pretty familiar with, uh, as he was a longtime Florida State commit that uh, he and Norvell parted ways with right, you know, close to when Norvell came on. Um, he was out with an ankle injury, I think is what it is, uh, against Virginia. What, what's the latest on Sims? Uh, what I'm hearing is it's a more of a week-to-week thing than a day-to-day thing. You know, he, he got hurt in overtime against Duke, missed a couple of snaps. We kicked a field goal and then get a stop. So the game ends. And the reports after the game were that he could have come back in for a second overtime if we needed him. And then he gets, you know, 10 days off before the UVA game. And it was obvious from snap one that, you know, he wasn't close to 100%. He wasn't they weren't designing runs for him. He wasn't taken off when he could have. And, you know, finally by the middle of the second quarter, uh, another weird kind of pile up happens and he doesn't come back after that. So it seems like it's a, a really a pain tolerance for a, an ankle thing. They're saying he's not going to make it worse, which I'm always a little bit dubious of. Uh, but, you know, you, you saw that he wasn't that effective against UVA. I mean, it wasn't as bad as Gibson, but, but without those wheels, you know, he's not full capacity. Uh, I'd be shocked if he played this weekend. I mean, I, I think that you, it, it seems like something that he needs a little bit more time to to recover, and it seems like he's not going to be effective if he does try to go again, you know, just a week later. It, it kind of reminds me of Jordan Travis a little bit. Those guys, when when they have like an ankle problem or something and they're so reliant on their legs to be a, a different aspect of their game, it's almost like it's in their head, even if even if, they're, you know, OK, I can throw the ball just fine. But knowing that they they they're missing part of their game, uh, it's, it's definitely a mental challenge as, as well as a physical one for uh, for for quarterbacks like Sims. And uh, just real quick, uh, can you give us any information about Gibson other than what we saw against Virginia? So. This Gibson thing could be one of my great mea culpas. So he was he was at Akron for a few years, 
And he, he started on and off last season. They were terrible as a team, but his numbers were awesome. So, you know, things like completion percentage over expectation, PFF grades, EPA per attempt. If you take away some of the, you know, sample size limitations on those numbers, he was like a top 10 quarterback in the country last year. So he commits, uh, I think it was January, and I was over the moon. I mean, I'm thinking this guy's going to win the job. They're bringing him in because Sims just hasn't developed in two years. Uh, and, you know, the early season struggles for Sims. I'm like, we got to see Gibson. This guy's got it. And I don't think he has what I thought he had. The, uh, the G5 to P5 translation does not look like it's uh, going well for him. I mean, he, he had no clue what to do with the pressure, and that's not a good situation behind our offensive line. Uh, well, I mean, good news is uh, Adam Fuller at Florida State has been practicing the bend-don't-break defense, so maybe we'll be given seven or eight-yard cushions, but we'll get there. Um, Let's jump to the running game. Uh, you know, I, I was trying to do some research, research on Georgia Tech as much as I could. Um, and, and the one thing that stood out is that um, currently the, the leader at running back is uh, Hassan or Hassan Hall. And looking at the game logs, he didn't have many touches in those first games. It was uh, Dante Smith. But here recently, he's really taken off. He's averaging over five yards a carry. Uh, what's allowed Hall to really jump ahead of the of the rest of these guys? It's a bit of a weird one. I, th there's two things that uh, are, are kind of on the field, off the field issues here. So, you know, Smith was was obviously the presumed lead guy coming into the season. Uh, he'd been really effective in backing up the Gibbs role last year. And he, he got off to a fine start. It wasn't anything outstanding. And then the week that Collins got fired – he was super outspoken on social media against the firing. And so I think you had some kind of, you know, let's sit down in the coach's office and kind of talk through how are you feeling about your place on the team with him. And then Hassan Hall's also been the much better blocker and in, in past type situations. And I think, you know, key is going to prioritize trying to keep things clean, keep the quarterback upright. So let's give Hall a shot there. And, you know, he was, not doing much during the course of the pit game. And then he busts, I think like a 52 yarder in the fourth quarter that made his, his obviously his yards per carry look a lot better. Um, but then by the Virginia game, they, they were back to really splitting carries and then Smith got dinged in the second half. And so I think Hall ended up with like four more carries, but they were kind of on track to, to be equal. So I think Smith's kind of doing what he needs to do behind the scenes to, to get back in the good graces of, of the coaching staff and, uh, you know, Hall's, Hall's fine. I think Smith's better catching the ball out of the backfield if he's available for that. Uh, Dylan McDuffie was a transfer from Buffalo that was supposed to be the power back, and he has been uh, completely ineffective. He's out of the rotation, rotation and really wasn't able to deliver on that part of it. So you're really missing that, that power element uh, that we had with Jordan Mason last year, who's on the, the 49ers practice squad this year. But, uh, you know, Smith and Hall are, are pretty complimentary with each other. And I think if, if, you know, injury concerns check out for Smith, I think you'll probably see it more like 50-50 between the two of them this week. Gotcha. So that's where those game logs can be so deceiving, you know, <laughs> because uh, the, the last few weeks, Hall's numbers definitely looked impressive, but all it takes is one run, like you said, to, to really change it. So um, running back by committee coming out of there, let's jump to the other uh, skills players on the offensive side. Uh, Receiving-wise, it looks like Nate McCollum's the team leader. Um, I'm blanking on the other guy that was right behind him. I was looking at it earlier today, but the thing that stood out to me is McCollum's only about five foot 10 or 11. He's, a, he's kind of a shorter guy, but 
definitely leading the team there. What can FSU expect from McCollum in this passing attack? Yeah, Nate's the classic slot guy. He's going to be, you know, heavily targeted in the middle of the field, running crossers and slants. Uh, you'll see, you know, the occasional end around where he's he's getting the ball uh, in the backfield. Those haven't worked terribly well, but we usually try something like that once a game. Uh, so he's definitely been the most reliable receiver. I'd be shocked if he wasn't the leader in targets again this week. On the outside, it's uh, uh, it's just a bunch of parts that aren't, working together. So Malachi Carter is the fifth year senior guy, been around forever, never broken through, seems to always have a key drop. He had a fourth down drop against UVA on drive in the fourth quarter where we were uh, actually getting close to scoring position. And then Brennan EJ Jenkins, this guy from South Carolina uh, as a transfer, he looks more like a tight end. Uh, they've tried to really feed him the ball and goal line situations they're throwing fades to him like he's Calvin which is just painful because he's not that good uh really doesn't move particularly well so uh, he, he was a heavy target guy the first two or three games and that's really gone down the the wild card is uh Leo Blackburn so he's a he's a redshirt freshman he was getting all sorts of you know rave reviews in camp last year and then he tore up his knee in August and missed the year more Ray reviews this summer, and then he broke his wrist, and he missed the first five games. So Duke was his first game back, had a 37-yard touchdown catch on a back shoulder play that was awesome and was like, this is why we've been so excited for two years about this guy. And then he had a couple really terrible drops last week, was struggling to get open. Uh, he's definitely the highest potential guy. I think you'll see him get more and more targets as the year goes on. And if if somebody's going to actually make a play on the outside, it's it's going to be him. So, you know, McCollum and, and Blackburn are the two that would maybe cause me a little bit of pause if I'm on the FSU defensive staff. <laughs> I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, that's good to hear because the secondary has been a little bit of a struggle for Florida State this year. Um, yeah, let, we, uh, we like to heal those wounds. <laughs> maybe we can help out each other this week. Um, <laughs> uh, finally, on offense, you kind of uh, you, you referenced it earlier. What's going on with the offensive line? Are there any strengths and weaknesses you really want to call out here, or is it just all one no, way or the other? I don't want to be terribly glib, but there's really not a strength to give you. Um, that was <laughs> – browsing pff uh before we were starting to talk and our our highest graded lineman for the season is at a 57 uh the other four starters are 56 55 52 52 the pressure rate allowed is you know bottom of the country bad allowing tons of run stuffs and it's 
our fourth straight year of this being a complete liability. Every year we've got you know, two or three transfers coming in. None of them are any good. And without the Sims running threat, it, it looks like what it did in the second half against Virginia. I mean, eight sacks, just, you know, you spin one way and there's another defensive lineman there. Uh, it's, it's bad. It's bad. I, uh, I'm concerned about Jared Verson company. <laughs> uh, I, Florida state may not be healthy yet on the defensive line, although everybody's kind of encircling. This is the game where maybe Fabian Lovett is back and maybe versus fully healthy. So could be interesting. Could be not as bad as you think, Robert, but uh, we'll, we'll definitely see. Um, but it definitely sounds like without Sims there to bail them out, it's, it, it, it becomes a very difficult task for that offensive line. Um, let's jump to the defensive line. Uh, senior Keon White's the name to know, I feel like, from reading up there, uh, to know for this tech front. Uh, he leads the team in sacks. Uh, is this the jump that the Yellow Jackets were hoping for, for from White? Uh, I know injuries cut out like the first half of his season last year after they were kind of expecting him to break out. Um, so, so tell me about Keon White and Oscar. Who are the other impactful players along the defensive line? Yeah, it's been great to have Keon out there every game this season. He he, he got the three sacks early, but uh, he's really he's kept up the the pressures. Just hasn't brought as many of them home the last few games. And so I think you have a little bit of clamoring. You know, why don't we have more sack production? But but really, he's been consistent at moving the pocket, disrupting the opposing quarterback. You know, causing grounding penalties that you don't see in the same way in the stat mm-hmm. sheet. Uh, he's he's definitely the best guy off the edge, and then. Uh, Daquan Douse is a guy that's been around for a while and all of a sudden is like an above average ACC starter at defensive tackle. I've really been uh, surprised and, and pleased with the improvement he's shown. Uh, David Turner is our defensive line coach that came in this year for the first time. And, and I think he's really done some great work with Dallas where we actually can get some push up the middle. We're maintaining gap integrity against the run. It just looks so different than last year. And then uh, White's backup is a, a guy that we recruited out of Belgium. It was one of Collins's kind of, you know, glamour development projects, but he really has. Uh, he's been through some injuries and is finally healthy this year, too. His name is Sylvan Yundrin, and he's been awesome rushing the pasture, too. Uh, White's got 21 pressures through seven games, and Yundrin's got another 16. Uh, the, the other defensive end spot has been a bit of a wasteland, but uh, really the – the top three or so guys there have been good enough to, you know, keep contained to, to keep quarterbacks uncomfortable. We've had way above average pressure rates for three games in a row now, which hasn't happened in my time of charting tech football. So it, it's been a really pleasant surprise to see the way the, the lines come around. It definitely feels like the strength of this team is the defense. It's flipped <laughs> I, I, so much. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, which is funny because going back to Collins, being that that was his uh, his masterpiece and it's it's gotten so much better without him. I saw uh, that guy. Was it Yunjin? Is that how you say it? I saw his name and I was like, oh, I don't want to touch that one. Um, <laughs> but um, as far as the remainder of the defense, um, outside of the defensive line, which I think is probably one of the, if, if not the strongest unit on the team, um, who who are some players of note? Where's the strengths there? I know I, I kind of wrote down some names, and I might say these wrong, but uh, a Yende, a Lay. You can uh, call him Ace. A- Ace okay. is what he goes by, so that's easier. That is definitely easier. Uh, Charlie Thomas, they both jump out statistically. 
uh, leading the team in tackles. And I think uh, Ace has some sacks as well. Uh, but what can fans expect from the linebackers and the defensive backs? Again, I'm going to say that the, the improvement at both of these spots has, has really stunned me this year. Uh, it's it's a night and day difference from what we had going on last year. Thomas and Ely were both the starters last year, but Thomas was hurt for most of the second half of the year. And Ely just really struggled with missed tackles and being in the wrong spot. And he was trying to do two people's job at once and ended up doing neither. And they're both just really solid this year. Uh, they're, they're both going to be used to rush the passer a lot. Uh, and they're both pretty effective at that. Uh, Ely does tend to miss a few more tackles still. He'll get a little bit creative outside of what it looks like he's probably supposed to be doing, but they're a really solid pairing in the middle. And uh, the third guy is uh, a redshirt freshman named Trenelius Tatum, and he had a forced fumble and a blocked punt against UVA. Uh, it's a it's a strong middle of the defense. And uh, on the back end, similar to how the team had the addition by subtraction, getting rid of Collins, the the secondary did that with three uh, three seniors last year who were completely out of sorts, who had completely given up on trusting each other and playing coverage. Uh, they all are gone and the secondary is so so much better um so the, the best guy back there is probably the miles brooks he's the the strong safety uh 85 pff grade so far this season which is the best we've got at any position we had a an older notre dame transfer who was starting there against clemson and brooks beat him out and hasn't looked back he's been awesome all season the the corners are both really solid i mean they're not you know, spectacular. They're not probably NFL players, but they've both done their job. They're going to make you work for it. They're not going to just bust like we saw so much last year. The The toughest spot right now is the the nickel. Uh, and it's a weird personnel situation. So I'll be interested to see what happens this week. The guy who was expected to start coming in the season uh, as a was a freshman last year. His name is Caleb Edwards. And apparently he had come to some kind of deal with Collins where he was going to redshirt this year and just kind of save up his development time for next year. Key comes in and says, no, we're not doing that. We're playing for this year. You're playing. And so he started working his way back in the lineup last week, had a bunch more snaps. And I'm wondering if we'll start to see more of him because that nickel spot's been where we've been super vulnerable against the pass. And uh, you know, KJ Wallace is a guy that's been starting and just, and he's just always a step behind, uh, hasn't been able to, to keep up. And, and I think Edwards has a lot more upside if, if he's able to get back in there. But all in all, I mean, it's it's a strong defense, The uh, especially when you look at some of the opponent adjusted numbers. Uh, I was looking at chart today from a, a friend named Bud Davis. And I mean, it's got tech as like a top 20 P5 defense, which if you told me that coming into the season, I mean, you know, what, whatever question I might ask you, because that was not on the radar after last year. So uh, I, you've heard me talk about the offense. The defense continues to impress me. Bet the under in every tech game the rest of the year is my advice right now, because it's uh, that's where the strengths are. It's funny hearing you uh, talk about the offense and defense. You're it's like, I'm talking to two different people. Yeah, with two different teams, you know, uh, that's that's funny. So um, that'll be interesting because Florida State has struggled here recently with some good defenses. Um, so so let me just go with that. You know, going into Saturday's game, what's your confidence level against Florida State? This is the first time they've matched up since that Norvell debut during the COVID year with uh, 
Oh, the James Blackman debacle down there. It was the rain-soaked game. So uh, do you think the uh, the Jackets can pull off another upset? Honestly, I think it would be you need two defensive or special teams touchdowns probably. I, I really don't see how the offense is going to be remotely functional. I mean, you're either looking at a hobbled Sims when, you know, his rushing has been his best weapon this year, or you're looking at a guy that just got sacked seven times and a half by Virginia, uh, buying that, what you heard me talk about with the offensive line. I, I really can't see that offense scoring more than 10 points. And that's if, you know, you break a huge one. Uh, it's just, it's really rough right now. Even the, you know, the pit game that we won, we had two explosive runs in the second half and we other than that did absolutely nothing uh duke was the same way you you run out to a lead and then just get absolutely shut down and i I don't see i don't see this offense moving the ball with who's available right now so to me it's like a 10 15 percent chance of a of a tech win it's hard for me to go much beyond that with uh with what i've seen the last few weeks out of the offense Fair enough. I'll take it. I, I, I need a win right now for Florida State. So I'm going to tell go you, though, that the last one of these shows that I was on was with the guys before the Pitt game, and I predicted that Pitt would win, I think, 35-7. to seven. And so, you know, reverse <laughs> jinxes happen. Don't do it, Robert. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I've appreciated it, but before we get out of here, I like to kind of end with something for fun. So I kind of have a choose-your-own-adventure type question, Robert. I'll give you three categories. Uh, you tell me where you want the category from. So uh, first off is professional wrestling. Uh, second is TV show streaming. And then finally is uh, famous bees in movies. TV show streaming. All right. TV show streaming, Robert. Uh, House of the Dragon just ended last night. There's a lot of crazy stuff going on in TV in general. I want to know, what are you watching, Robert? Uh, so I finished watching the, uh, sixth season of better call Saul with my wife when it came out about a month ago and we had so much fun that we decided we were going to rewatch the whole thing from the beginning. So we're now about halfway through season four and better call Saul is awesome and it should win all the Emmys. And if you haven't watched it, highly recommend. When, uh, when I first started this podcast, this season, better call Saul was like the show that several of us were talking about. Uh, and the thing I talked about with a couple of them was the uh, the mid-season finale, um, like is one of the only television episodes that literally made me kind of gasp out loud. That was such a well-done episode and such a clim- climatic setup. <laughs> it was it was really well done. Uh, I, I definitely enjoyed Better Call Saul. Uh, I would personally put Mike Airman Trout in like one of my top five TV show characters of all time. He's one of my favorite. So good. So good. Uh, you know, and you got the taste of him with, with breaking bad. And then it's like, we're going to get the entree and better call Saul. And it's uh, it's, it's wonderful. I love him. I, I don't know if you're on Facebook very often, but you know how you're like scrolling through your feed and Facebook will just randomly insert TV or movie clips. And you just, sometimes you watch them. Sometimes you don't. Anytime the Better Call Saul clip shows up where Mike Ehrmantraut is uh, signed up to like basically help that guy sell the drugs to Nacho and uh, the guy's like, you don't have a gun with you? What do you mean you don't have a gun? What kind of dad? He just totally 
annihilates that guy in the parking garage and throws his guns in the garbage can. I just, I watched that, like, I could just watch that on repeat. It's one of my favorites. That's awesome. That guy, that guy just cracks me up. He's just, he's so overconfident and has no idea that Mike knows a thousand times more about all of this than he does. And right. that's the only reason he's still alive. Yeah, I, I just kind of wish I, I I had like a tenth of that character's abilities. That would be amazing. <laughs> well, oh, Robert, I've really enjoyed it. I hope your reverse jinx does not come true. But uh, tell all the listeners where they can find more from you and, and from your site. Sure. Yeah, uh, on Twitter at Robert underscore Binion. I'm tweeting out game preview charts, reviews of, of big games each week. Uh, I write usually two or three times a week uh, at from the rumble seat. I'll do a game preview that'll come out Thursday morning this week. Uh, if you want to check it out from an FSU perspective, and then I'll be reviewing tech's defensive performance against FSU on Wednesday. Another one of my writers will do the offense on Tuesday. And then I'm writing uh, football outsiders college football review that goes up every Monday morning, usually hit the six or eight biggest games of the week. And that's been a lot of fun this season. So uh, check me out. I uh, I'll post some Florida state charts and preview stuff every now and then too. So you'll get a taste of your team too. Awesome. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll have to get the Tomahawk nation uh, Twitter to uh, retweet, retweet some of that information. Um, <clears throat> Well, hopefully now that the new schedule is coming out, Robert, we'll get to talk more often uh, instead of once every like seven or eight years. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, it's been great. Thanks so much for jumping on for Tomahawk Nation. I am Tim Allenball. This has been the Line and Scrimmage Podcast. We'll catch you next week.